Well, for those of you just joining us uh, maybe this week, we have been walking through a series to start this year that's sitting in two categories that are extremely important for us to pay attention to. And that's the aspect of we are creatures created for worship and we live in a setting filled with warfare. And both of those things can disappear from our awareness, our practice, our mindfulness, our engagement, and and we can't afford for either one of those. So we're starting the year emphasizing those two things. I hope we will be much more mindful of worship and warfare. We haven't gotten to the warfare part of the series yet uh, because worship is primarily the most important thing. Um, Today we we are flip-flopping the service to illustrate something and, and also, we could stand and do this every week. Uh, human beings invent liturgies, and you need them, right? Otherwise, you don't want to walk into a service. Every, and what the heck's going on around here? Who knows? Um, but, but we create an order of doing things. The Bible doesn't prescribe somewhere that you're supposed to come in, be greeted this way, have a connect booth in front of your church, and do announcements. Take an, it doesn't spell all that stuff out. We just collect the ideas of Scripture and we appropriate them as we feel the Lord leads us to do that. But one thing that is crystal clear in Scripture is worship is a response to something. It doesn't self-exist. It doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like faith. You know, it has to have an object. It has to look at something, see something, and encounter something And then something gets expressed. And so I want to land hard in the expressed category. And I want to interact with it just the way the Bible interacts with it. But I I want to interact with it in a way of, of how we practice personally and corporately expressing worship to God. So if I started just by saying, you know, how is your or my expression of worship? That's, that's a category underneath the bigger umbrella. We all kind of get, we have, we're, we're called to worship God. God is a worthy God. Uh, we come to a worship service. We use that word, but, but I just want to ask, are, are we engaging that word? Am I expressing worship in my life and through my life? And so part of what the preach word is intended to do, it's intended to awaken our souls to worship God. And so we're going to listen to the preach word, and then we're going to respond to the preach word by expressing worship to God through the vehicle of singing uh, at the end of the service. And so we're, we've reserved that time uh, for that moment. But I want to give some weight to why this matters. And if you've had a conversation with anybody in the last few years, you maybe have bumped into some people who have walked away from their walk, walked away from their faith, maybe put God on a shelf. And COVID came along, but quite honestly, this was happening well before COVID arrived. But then COVID came along and it gave people sort of a, <clears throat> a new thing to respond to. They could withdraw more and everybody was doing that anyway. So they just kind of withdrew from God, withdrew from settings where worship settings and belief patterns changed in their lives. And their affections toward God got more and more Distance. So, so this is a relevant issue 
in our day right now to engage. So I, I, I want to illustrate something for us just to introduce where we're going. The question of, excuse me, but <clears throat> I need to swallow something, I think. How to have a small and irrelevant God. How's that for a message? How to have a small, irrelevant God. Well, treat God like he's small and irrelevant. And you will end up with a small, irrelevant God. Now, careful. Does that mean the God of the universe is actually small and irrelevant? No. It just means he's become that to me or to you. And we have this ability, the Bible gave it to us, to go big towards stuff, right? We can spend energy and affection and devotion. We can go big. There's some stuff in our lives we go big to. But when you start going small toward God, your, your experience and your engagement of God will get smaller and smaller and smaller and less and less and less influential in your life. Now, I don't, I don't need to even make that point very deeply because everybody in this room knows that. You've walked long enough with God, if you've walked at all, to know when God gets at a distance, my experience of him gets smaller and smaller and he becomes less and less influential in my affections, my goals, and my dreams, and the things that solve my problems. He's just more and more at a distance. That's very biblical, right? When you go back to the year about 1400 B.C., and you have this meeting where God is meeting with his people at Mount Sinai. He, he establishes some things with them. A generation wanders in the wilderness, uh, being put on hold. And then they're about to go into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy. And the whole law gets rehearsed again. Everything God said at Mount Sinai, hey, let's, let's talk about it all again. And this is what God says on the way in. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. God says, take care, lest you... Forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Right? Did you just see a, a construction here? There is the potential of forgetfulness as a human being towards the living God. Where does it come from? Well, take care lest you forget by not keeping something. If you begin to disengage, if you begin to stop engaging God a certain way, you run the danger of beginning to forget things about him. Right? That's what this passage is saying. Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. God's not prohibiting those things. All those good things, when this increases and this good thing comes along and you start enjoying this and you have this reward and your crops come in and your herds are abundant and your businesses are all successful, God's not saying you shouldn't have done that. He's just saying when you do it, those things will absorb you. You will present yourself to them in a certain way and be careful that you don't forget me. Judges chapter 2 
speaks to the generation that came after hearing this instruction. And it says, all that generation, the previous one, was gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. One generation from the words of warning in Deuteronomy. And they have forgotten already. You fast forward from that time period, 720 B.C., is about the time period when Isaiah the prophet is pulling God's people back towards him. And God just says this through Isaiah. They, these people of his, have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And then you fast forward almost 300 years from there to the prophet Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. Where Malachi is again trying to call back a people whose hearts have gone far from God when he says, but you say, the people, how have we despised your name? Malachi comes and says, hey, you despise God's name. The way you offer things to God, it's like he doesn't even mean anything to you. And they say, what? How have we despised your name? God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? Right, when we looked at this verse a few weeks ago. When you take the things that don't matter to you, the things that are unimportant, the leftovers, the stuff you don't have any priorities for, and you serve that up to God. Here, here guys, here, here's my leftover time. I had five minutes to kill. Let me open my Bible for a second. Hey, I don't have anything else going on this weekend, so I think I'll go to church. Uh, hey, you know, hey, throw 10 bucks in the, in the bucket when it comes by. That mentality that doesn't say, go big toward God. It just says, hey, just do something to acknowledge that he's there. Right? It wasn't that these people, whether it's Isaiah's day or Malachi's day, had totally forgotten God. They hadn't. They still had temple services. They still did stuff. But this is the folks that God turns around and says, I, I wish you'd just shut the doors. Because you don't go big toward me. So God's not okay with us going small toward him. He's just not okay with that. Because he knows we're capable of going big towards other things. And when we stop going big toward him, when we start getting stingy toward God, and I'm going to use stingy in a broad word. I do mean financially. I do mean it has to do with the money in our pockets. But when we get stingy with our time, with our affections, with our energy, with our thoughts, when we get stingy, we are prone to wander. It is our activity, not a failure on God's part. It is our activity, our failure to engage the things that God has made available to us that install the wandering that we experience. So worship is a massively important matter in our lives. What we're going big towards is huge. So we've been using this verse a lot to, to share some thoughts. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. The writer says, Let us... Therefore, offer to God acceptable worship. And I just want to take apart a couple of these words here today. Let us. This is, this is speaking to us about something we're going to be doing. This is not something that God does in our place. And he does a lot of things in our place. He is the substitutionary atonement. He is not the substitutionary doer in this, in this sentence. 
Let us, and that, that phrase, let us, it's a weighty phrase in, in the Hebrews. It's used 14 times. It says things like, let us fear. Let us strive to enter. Let us hold fast. Let us lay aside. Let us be grateful. And here it is, let us offer. And that word offer, it's the word for worship. It's the word latreo in the Greek. And it means to worship, to serve. It's a verb. It's an action word. It's something that you and I do. But I want to hang it on this word. It is something that you and I express. Right? And, and offering, you can get the image, an offering looks like, well, it looks like this. It looks like me taking something of me and expressing it. It's, it's kind of no longer in my possession. I have offered it outside of me. It travels beyond me, but it was mine. But now it's getting expressed. I'm pushing it out of me in some way. So very much, I want us to be mindful, and this is part of the reason why we're sticking the worship singing portion at the end of the service. Because we we learn to express things. We don't know how to express lots of stuff. All throughout our lives, we have learned how to express things. So I want us to learn how to express singing worship in a way in which God delights in. Now, let, let let me issue us a warning here. I'm going to read an interesting quote from a fellow named Carl Truman in just a second. Um, We are very much a church that spends a lot of time emphasizing doctrine, teaching, scripture. We read lots of books. We promote lots of books. We are very much into thinking a certain way. We make no apology for that. We can stand up scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture to support why we do that. But a danger for churches like us, I don't know why it is, but it tends to become a danger, is we turn worship into this cerebral event where most of what we think worship is about is just thinking about big doctrinal concepts and reading books on them. And being able to articulate them and defend them and argue them. And we can eat. That's worship. Um, that's part of worship. But there are other expressions of worship that those concepts feed. We should be some of the loudest, most affectionate people in the universe. People who are poorly taught should not be. So if we really love doctrine the way we claim to love doctrine, it should launch us and not just be something we contemplate more deeply and go more and more and more inside. And if you'll allow me, express less and less and less. We didn't learn that from the Bible. Carl Truman says something that's just sobering. He wrote an article called Six Ways Christians Can Respond to Our Strange New World. He says this, I think we all get this. He says, within 10 miles of where I'm writing this book in my study at home in Pennsylvania, there are dozens of churches, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Eastern Orthodox, Baptist, Roman Catholic. And even the terms Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Baptist cover a variety of different denominations. This is the result of religious freedom, a good thing. But it also has the effect of making religion a marketplace where the congregant is the customer. And the church, the vendor. We as Christians intuitively go to church to feel good. 
Perhaps to meet friends or to sing uplifting songs, whether traditional or contemporary, or to have our minds stimulated by a good sermon, our ears edified by beautiful music. We tend to go to, to choose the church, listen, that fits with what makes us personally feel good. This is true whether we are emotional types to whom a Pentecostal service might appeal, lovers of artistic beauty who might be naturally drawn to high Anglicanism, Catholicism, or Orthodoxy, or, like me, a bookish type for whom the cerebral sermons of Reformed churches are appealing. I think that's pretty true, isn't it? We tend to take our own personal ideas and style and lay them on top of the word worship. I don't know if I can say anything more profound than this. Uh, the scriptures teach us the Father is looking for worshipers, not customers. God of the universe who is perfect in all his ways, who prescribes our existence. He's not marketing himself to customers. We don't get to come to God with our great ideas based on our preferences and our personality types and come to God and tell him, this is how worship is going to look. No, he's not looking for customers. He's looking for us to pick up on How do you want worship to look? How do you want me to adjust myself so that what I offer, let us offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe, that verse says. So when I go to push this thing out of me toward you, and however I'm going to do that, what do you want that to look like and sound like? Not what am I comfortable or preferring to do. Do you understand that I'm not a customer. It's mind-blowing that I get to be in the presence of God at all. It's humbling. I want to tune into what does he want from me. So, next little section there. Worship is... An offering of ourselves to God launched from sound doctrine. You have to know something and be convinced of it deeply in order to actually worship. You cannot worship God in ignorance. You can't do it. The more you know of him, the more we should spill over in affection toward him. So, you know, Hebrews 12, kind of a similar feel to Romans chapter 12. A lot of teaching leading up to a moment of human action, right? That's what you get in Hebrews, going up to Hebrews 12. You get the same thing in Romans 1 through 11. You get to chapter 12 and you hear this. Okay, now that we've talked about all this wonderful doctrine, Paul says, I appeal to you. It is an affectionate crying out to God's people. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, that word latreo. Present yourselves to God. That is present yourselves. That's worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right, so here, Paul teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches and finally says, okay, now respond to what you've just heard. Express to God. Present every molecule of your life to him in response to what he's just revealed to you. Worship is an offering. It is a presentation. It is an expression to God. To let deep things of God sit inside of us, silent and quiet, is terribly wrong. The Father is looking for worshipers. He's looking for responders. He's looking for people who go, wow. He's looking for people who say, hey, hey, don't interrupt me right now. Have you seen this? Oh my gosh. He's looking for those people. You got to see something, right? It's interesting in this Romans 12, this is so critical for our time frame. This worship setting, this presenting of yourself, worship keeps company with words like holy acceptable, good, and perfect. In Hebrews 12, it kept company with acceptable and reverence and awe. So the question is, acceptable to whom? Remember, you, you and I don't escape this. We don't, I can't say it enough. We don't escape this. We're Americans. We have been discipled by this country, by its marketing, by the way it interacts with concepts and ideas. We have been taught to be customers. Worship is not something that we self-define. Self-presentation, I appeal to you brothers, present yourselves to God. Self-presentation is not self-defined. I don't get to define how will I worship this God? Well, I go to this church because their style is this and they do things this way and that really suits me. I prefer that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, there are so many things that we have been taught to be customers. That they're just, I think they're offensive to God. Listen, I get the whole, you know, when, when a band plays, there's all kinds of styles of music out there. So they're going to play some kind of style. If, if worship is the overflow of the reality of who God is and, and the style of music isn't to your preference, so what? I kind of I like our style, but, but if, you, if you broke out an organ and, and played a pipe organ and we sang a hymn, I wouldn't sit down and protest. Like, what the heck? Oh, really? We're going to sing one of these old hymns? I would milk every word in every line to see something of God that makes my heart leap toward him. Go, wow, that's awesome. Even, I don't, whatever the style is, it's not about style. It's not about my personal preference. It's about reacting to the truth of God. So I, I, I don't want to fall into a trap of creating stylistic types of things, although style is part of our lives. But it doesn't sit at the heart of what worship is. But notice something that you get this appeal in Romans chapter 12. After 11 chapters of, I would say, I think most of us would agree, the deepest doctrine in the scriptures anywhere. 
There's probably not another book in Scripture that tops Romans for the weighty construction of doctrine that precedes chapter 12. It is, if you will, it, it, you know, we have been inhaling for 11 chapters. We've been taking something in for 11 chapters. But you, you do understand the Christian life cannot just be inhaling. You have to exhale. You'll never be healthy. If your concept of the Christian life becomes, I just come to meetings and learn more. That's what I do. I just come and learn more. And then I'll come back next week and I'll learn something else more. Um, there's inhaling and exhaling in the Christian life. We, we take in, we give back. We take in, we express. We take in, and, and worship is not just singing, but it is singing. It is also serving. It is also doing. It is also the life that we live before God for his glory. So there's, there's inhaling, and then there's doing something with it. There is an expression of us in this regard. So very important why we preach, and then we're going to sing, because hopefully we're inhaling right now, and we're about to exhale on God when we have the opportunity to sing in his presence. Now, it's interesting if you track, and I won't do this, but I just want to pique your curiosity. If you started in Romans chapter 1 with some of the conversation there, and then you land again in Romans chapter 12, you'll find Paul picking up a point he made earlier. And it just briefly sounds this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It's about going big. It's about presenting yourself to something. Romans 1, verse 25 says, Because they, this is the fallen world that we live in, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served. That's that word, latreo. They offered themselves, they presented themselves to the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you have two pictures of humanity here. Romans chapter 1 presents a picture that we're going to go big towards something. But the world has exchanged the bigness of God for the bigness of something else. And now they present themselves in worship to those things and they go big and they're loud and they're affectionate and they want those things and they sacrifice for them and they become really good at them but they've exchanged the truth about God for something else that they go big for and then you get all the way to chapter 12 after God uh, Paul has, has shared and taught effectively let's see how big God is and how rich he has made you and you get to chapter 12 he says how about you present yourself to him holy completely acceptable to him, right? That's what Paul's point is. So let me just make this point. I wrote this out in your outline. Our hearts need to go big toward God. Lest we begin to turn God into something small in our affections. And then he becomes small in our experience. You will most likely begin to experience an irrelevant and unimportant God when you begin to offer yourself to him in small, unimportant ways. This doesn't make God small and unimportant. It just makes the way we experience him start to feel that way. So let me install a word that, that comes from the man in the Old Testament who had a heart after God. Right? David was a worshiper, perhaps one of the most loudest, most affectionately described worshipers in the Old Testament. Spite of the flaws on his resume, God says he is a man after my own heart. I think God saw something in the affection that David had toward God that answered the father is looking for worshipers. And he had found one in David. 
But a quick lesson from David, because he's going to teach us something about expressing something from ourselves in this quick story. And I won't unpack the story, but it's in First Chronicles chapter 21. It's a moment in which engaging God is going to be done a certain way. Verse 22 says, David said to Ornan, give me the site. This is a piece of land. Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it and altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. So he's going to offer to God. This is is let us offer. This is an offering. Then Ornan said to David, take it. And let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I I give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood, the wheat for grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them from you for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David needed to possess this thing before he could give it away. It couldn't be his and then be given by David. Does that make sense? Right? I I can't this morning say, you know, I'm just, I'm so excited to, to worship God this morning. So when we pass the bucket around to give an offering, I went over and got Peter's checkbook and I wrote the biggest check I've ever written in my life. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that or not, but you will. That's right. On Monday, you'll discover that's what. That just doesn't work, does it? it, it it's got to be mine. I, I have to possess it. And it's got to touch me in a certain way so that when I give it away, I, I am actually sort of losing it. I'm actually, I'm offering it. It was, it was mine. But it's not anymore. I'm transferring it to God. David knew, the man after God's own, he knew I I can't give this to God. It's yours. But I'll buy it at full price. Then I can give it to God. And listen, David's not an ignorant guy here. David's going to write in the Psalms, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every cow, every molecule, everything growing, it's all the Lord's. David knows that in this moment. He knows that, you know, if I buy this stuff from you, it's the Lord's anyway. It's all the Lord's. Of course, well, he doesn't do that, does he? But he does know that. Matter of fact, he's going to really highlight this. First Chronicles chapter 29. Chapters later, they're taking an offering to construct the temple. And the people of God are offering. I want you to notice how they're highlighted. They are doing the offering. They are credited with doing the offering. David is offering something here as well. And he says, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly. Who's doing the offering here? God? No, we are. We are offering something willingly. And he highlights the heart several times in this passage. For all things come from you. He knows that. And of your own hand have we given to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. There's no abiding. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that, that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand. It's all your own. Right? David knows everything ultimately really is God's. Verse 17, he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart 
and have pleasure in uprightness, in the uprightness of my heart, right? This is seeped down in me. This is coming from inside of me, God. I have freely offered all these things. I have done that, Lord. My heart wants to press this toward you, this offering. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you and direct their hearts toward you. There is something about an offering that directs their hearts toward you. This is where if you go small toward God, you will wander from him. There's something about offering to God that directs our hearts to him. When, when God starts being insignificant, and listen, your heart needs to notice you're transferring something that's got some value to you. So, you know, if you're a millionaire in here today and you decide, well, yeah, I guess I should give, and you throw a dollar in the bucket, can I just tell you, your heart wasn't aware that you transferred anything because the dollar is insignificant to you. Most of us throw pennies away, right? So it needs to be significant to you. It needs to be something you own, something you possess. It needs to be like David said, I'm not giving the Lord something that doesn't matter to me. It doesn't have any value to me. It's got to be possessed by me. Now, now listen very carefully. Because in this big offering that David's taking, it's to build the temple. So this is what David is not doing. David's not taking up an offering to get God to accept him. David's not trying to justify himself. Can we just rescue the doctrine of justification from this moment? This offering is not about buying your way into God's good graces. So now he'll become for me. No! Do you know why? And David knew this. Do you know why God was for them? Because this building that he's about to build, every year there was a special day called the Day of Atonement. And if you read the tabernacles instructions given at Mount Sinai, Leviticus chapter 16 is a chapter devoted to the day of atonement. It's the centerpiece of why that building existed. And on the day of atonement, humanity transferred their guilty sin to an offering and that innocent animal gave up its life. And then another scapegoat, right? You've heard the scapegoat took the sin away from them. So you have these two dimensions on the day of atonement that took place. David knew Whatever I give to God, it's got nothing to do with purchasing him liking me. God is for me because another one's going to die in my place and forgive my sins. And that's what we do on the Day of Atonement. We look forward to the day. that you Remember that moment? This, I can never say this without being affected by it. The moment when John the Baptist looks up and sees Jesus. Do you remember what he said? First words out of his mouth. Behold, the, I bet he said it that way too, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why, why is that the first thing out of his mouth? Because every year that temple had a service called the Day of Atonement where a lamb was slaughtered and blood was shed for the forgiveness and the taking away of sins. The scapegoat would take him away and the, and the blood would forgive. Every year they did that. Finally, John the Baptist looks up and says, this is what it was all waiting for. So, so please hear this. This engagement, this offering of God, you are not purchasing getting right with God by doing that. 
And David knew he wasn't doing that either. But he also knew, I'm the man after God's own heart. For me to offer something to God, it needs to come from me. And it needs to matter to me. It needs to be a piece of me that's significant. I will not offer to God insignificant things. Remember, and, and God has already spelled out. I mean, it's po- Malachi is post-David. When God turns around and says, hey, it's not that you aren't offering anything. It's that you're going small toward me. You take your garage sale junk and you come and bring that to me. That doesn't matter to you. What makes you think it matters to me? Well, in all honesty, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Does anything that we have matter to God? Like he needs that? Like, you know, the economy of heaven is in ruins right now. Can we take an offering up this morning? We need to set some things straight. I mean, there are angels going bankrupt right now, left and right in the kingdom of God. We need to take an offering. Does that, is that why we do this? We, we don't give to God in order to rescue God who has a need. We don't, we don't do that. So why do we give to God? Because our hearts need to be directed toward him. We give to God to establish the reality, me creature, you creator. I'm, I exist for worship. This is an expression of worship to you. Right, can, can I just fix something that's a little bit of a customer issue in the body of Christ today? In the, in the financial giving category, there's way too much of this going on. And you didn't learn it from the Bible. You learned it from America. The moment that I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the guy who comes up and takes the offering to, 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 to stand up something that I want to give to. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go big then. So we're going to take an offering this morning for uh, just the terrible tragedy of human trafficking taking place throughout the world. And, and I tell the story. It's very moving. People who are suffering, etc., or about orphans who are not being cared for in this part of the world, that part of the world. And, and we tell stories about, hey, would you, would you like to give toward that? And he goes, oh, finally, finally. Uh, I don't even care for when the guys stand up here and take off. I'm not trying to correct anybody. You guys can keep doing this if you like. But uh, who, who stand up and, and share with you, hey, we've got this coming up and we've got that coming up. And, you know, we've got Alpha happening. We've got this thing happening. Uh, as though the reason that you and I give is to fund a business project. Oh, and, and I like that business project. Oh, that other one you're talking about? I don't really care for that one. Uh, we give because God is great and the whole earth is his and you and I are breathing his air, eating his food, living under his good graces, have not faced the judgment of a righteous God every day of our lives. We give to him an acknowledgement that that is all true and we give out of something significant to us. So it can't be some offering. That little piece of this. Uh, that's, that's not how you give. The heart of a worshiper needs, needs to go big toward God in every category that we give, in every category that we worship. So let me walk through some categories. I'll do this quickly. Worship is expressive. It is an offering of things of ourselves. So let us, right? Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let me just run through some categories. And this could have been a book. And I'm just going to make it a few touch points. But there are many ways that we can offer 
to God. So let us, by all means, offer our money. By all means. The Bible has so much to say about money. I've seen guys who have done the research on it that Jesus spoke more about money than about any other topic. Because the issue really isn't our money. It's our hope. It's our dependence. It's our security. It's our safety. It's in what makes us feel good about our lives. It's in our status. Right? Money touches all those things, doesn't it? So when God reaches over and he says, give me that right there. He's not just touching your finances. He's touching your heart. The things you depend upon. The things that you cling to. If you give to God in such a way that, you know, I was totally, totally freaked out about everything in life right now. And then I check my bank account and I'm pretty good. I'm good. So I feel secure. I feel good right now. My retirement's going to work. I just give a little bit to God over here. Why don't you give in such a way that this feels a little less secure to you? Because what you might do is you might, with that money, transfer your dependence to God. Your security and your hope to God. So that when the next time the stock market crashes and your 401k turns into nothing or next to nothing, you won't go down the drain. Because you've transferred your hope and your security to God. And when were you doing that? Every time I took my finances and I gave it to God and I stood before him in faith and said, Lord, this, this is significant for me to give. But you are worthy and you're the source of it all. And I transfer that to you. So, I mean, the, the Bible's very big. If, if you're here this morning or you're watching and, and you don't give financially, you, the, there are two things. One, you're, you're just not in agreement with God with your life. And that's a big issue. But you are in danger of creating a small God for whom you will walk away from him much more easily because he's not big to you. He's not that worthy. And you don't look to him in certain ways. Let us offer our confession. I'm just throwing in a few examples that you would have encountered if you just studied the tabernacle. There was a moment where you showed up, first order of business. If you showed up at the, at the tabernacle and you brought your offering, maybe you and your kids took a road trip, here you are, and you, you come into the, the exterior tent of meeting, the first person you would have met would have been a priest, and the big thing right in front of you would have felt the heat coming off this altar. And what you would have done in that moment is you would have put your hands on a goat, and you would have transferred your sin and your guilt. What do you think God's looking at in that moment? The goat? He's looking at your heart. He's looking at you acknowledging the reality that this God is worthy of a life better than I have lived. He's looking for conviction to show up in a real way to where you are actually honest before God. God, what I did last year, it's not okay. I know it's not okay. I confess that before you. I I have fallen short, God. I put my guilt... And I turn from that sin. Right? Maybe you're one of those people that's like, I don't like to touch animals. <sighs> I mean, when I go to a petting zoo, never. Hey, kids, y'all go ahead in. I'm not touching those stinking things. Uh, maybe, so maybe your preference would be, I prefer to skip that part. But you're not a customer. You're a worshiper. You put your hands on that animal. Because the God of the universe said, put your hands on that animal. You know, Keith, I'm, 
this just feels like a big guilt trip, dude. I mean, so what? I'm supposed to think about all the things that I did wrong? I don't, I don't like the way that makes me feel. I get that. But you're not a customer. You're a worshiper. And the God of the universe says, get in touch with who you really are. And come and bring who you really are to me. Broken and everything. Hostile toward me and everything. Rebellious toward me and everything. Come and confess it so that I can deal with it in your life and get it out of you and get it off of you. I don't like the way that makes me feel. We don't worship God based on what we prefer. Can we stop doing that? The God of the universe comes to people and says, hey, this is how you do it. He doesn't say, how would y'all like to do it, right? Let us offer our mental engagement. Let us mentally be all in when we interact with God. When we sit in moments like this, right? Romans chapter 12 spoke about presenting ourselves, all of ourselves to God and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So for my mind to be renewed, I I need to submit it to God. I need to let God take it apart. I need to let new teachings and new ideas come to me in such a way that sort of boot this one out of the way. And, And I might be loyal to this one. I might really like some of these ideas. They were part of my life for years and years, but God shows up and he says, that right there has got to go. That's not for me. This is why we teach. This is why we open the Bible. This is why limited fallen human creatures interact with truth because there's something in it to transform us. But how many of you guys know you can sit in a meeting like this and, and maybe right now just be waking up? Just be pulling away from everything going on in my schedule in my life. I got so much, oh, you know, what, what was that last thing you just said? Or... I could come into this building on Sunday morning. And by the way, I could start being prepared, which if some of you guys humble are, I'm awkwardly humbled when I start getting texts now on Saturdays from people who have gone on the app and have started to look at the notes already. And they know what we're going to talk about on Sunday morning. And you're already affected by it. You are prepared to be here. You probably finished some of my sentences because the outlines are online. You, We should be preparing for this meeting on Saturday night. We should be preparing our hearts and our minds to be fully here. How can I be fully in this room? Okay, I got to put this down. I'm not going to worry about that while I'm here because I want to offer my mind to God while I'm here this morning. And I want him to interact with me. I want him to teach me things. I want him to adjust some things in me. I'm, I'm fully engaged. I'm all in. Let us offer our physical presence to God. Um, I've mentioned this before. I kind of take issue a little bit, although I don't disagree with it theologically, with the concept of, listen, hey, hey, all of life is worship, okay? I don't know where you're going with this singing thing after we're done here, but all of life is worship, okay, Keith? And everywhere I am, I'm a worshiper, everywhere. Hey, I love your theology. That's totally true. But can you please read some more in your Bible? Because there are specifics about worship. There are locations about worship. There are calendar events about worship where God says, hey, hey, I get you can be anywhere. You could, you know, you, you shouldn't be a person who says, you know, I just chose not to come to church today. I'm just going to sit on the back porch, me and my Bible, and we're just going to worship God. Uh, all right, do that Monday morning. 
Don't do that on Sunday morning. Because God has said there's something unique about this gathering. That I show up here and you offer yourself to me in a unique way in this gathering. There are moments, activities, expressions. These are expressions. And I find most people who run behind the umbrella and hide behind all, all of life is worship. When you, when you pull on their lives, you find very few expressions of worship. They've got like this rich concept in their head. All of my life is when I'm driving down the highway, it's worship to God. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But there is expressions of worship. We need to express Worship in particular ways, reading carefully, meditating on, letting it seep into our hearts and not rushing past something that we've read in scripture. Being available to be convicted and led and inspired and have faith put in our hearts when we gather together. That's intentional. That's biblical. Let me jump into this last one here. Let us offer physical gestures and expressions. All right, this one this is the one half the room is afraid of. Oh my gosh, here we go. All right, let me just start by saying that I don't know if I wrote this out in your outline, but I did make a bullet point at least. Marital, marital love, right? Husband and wife, marital love needs multiple vehicles of expression. It just is not suitable to have the old adage, well, you know, we got married 25 years ago and we stood and we said our vows to each other and we said we loved each other. I mean, we're good. We're good. Really? Have you asked your wife if she's good with that? <laughs> well, it might help if you could find some other expressions of that as well, right? So husbands and wives, right? Sometimes we need written cards and, and letters and a timely text, that shows up, that communicates, that expresses something. Uh, we need to hold hands and go for a long walk. We need weekend getaways. We need special gifts. We need spontaneous I love yous. We need acts of sacrifice. Uh, we need sex. We need many, many expressions of love. God has created worship to have many, many expression, expressions. It's not just a concept that sits, I got saved all these years ago and have I learned to express myself to God and be intentional and specific in particular ways. So let me, let me land in what we do in part of our service where we gather on a Sunday and it's a corporate celebration together. Singing, praising, clapping, dancing, bowing. These are all physical gestures, right? And, and listen, we're pretty cool with physical gestures in other categories that we've learned. If you guys served in the military, one of the first gestures you were taught was to express acknowledgement of authority. Somebody walked in the room. Did you, did you do that growing up? I didn't. I didn't walk around everywhere I went going. But if I joined the military... They expect you to learn that. And you don't get to be a customer in that moment in the military, do you? And go, I'm really not into that whole thing. <laughs> so I'm kind of do like this when you walk by. <laughs> What's up, Brigadier General? That's not okay, is it? 
we learn gestures all over the place. I mean, I pre- appreciate Stephen calling us to a high five, right? You didn't have to explain that to any of us. Uh, okay, now a high five is where you hold your hand up and somebody else goes, how can we all know to do that? I mean, I just walk up to a stranger and go like this and he'll high five me. It's a gesture. We've learned, right? How, you know, who taught, don't ask them, the football guys here, who taught you to spike the ball, right? You scored a touchdown. I don't know. I don't know what you should do. Spike the ball, right? Just, I mean, just let motion come out. You know, you dunk the basketball and the guy comes down after hanging on the rim and his face is like, ah! Who, who taught that? I didn't do that in high school. I couldn't dunk either, but um, I probably would have if I could dunk. That's true. That's an expression. And some of us are much more expressive somewhere else than we are here. Does it feel like if people got expressive in church, that would feel fanatical? That would feel, that's weird. It felt weird to me. I'm being honest, man. I mean, I actually attended this church in 1983. I didn't sit down. I stood against the back wall. It was much smaller, different place. But because there was music being played, I've never been in a church where music was going on. There's drum, it was a drum set in the church. I'd never been around that. What the heck are these people going to do next? I, I stood against the back wall and then they started lifting their hands and it's like, oh, oh, this is really when they're clapping and some of them are shouting. I'm like, okay, this is weirdville. Totally. I'm why? Cause I'd never been around it, but isn't it weird? That when I saw, when I see somebody do that, I don't know. Hey, welcome to Weirdville. Look at that idiot. What the heck is wrong with him? Just doing that to every guy he walks past. I totally accept that, don't I? Why is it that I'm okay with certain gestures, but when it comes in here, I'm not okay? Well, that'll be the second part of what we'll learn. There's this thing called warfare. And the enemy's not too crazy about your gestures. All right, let me ask the worship team. You guys get ready to come back up here. All right, walk with me through Psalm 63 here. Listen, listen to this psalm. It's a musical song of seeing and celebrating and expressing. Listen, listen to the words of this song. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, not casually, not accidentally. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I've seen something of God. I've looked, God, and I've seen. Aaron did such a great job with putting Psalm 73 before us. That man's story who needed a fresh glimpse of God. So he could respond differently. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, right? All right, expression, my lips are involved. Praising is involved. I'm gonna express something so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I'll salute, I'll do whatever, I'll bow. Some means of me acknowledging the greatness of who you are. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you. Right? These are all offerings in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Right? That's an offering. Right? I, Sunday morning should look like a bunch of people clinging to God. My soul clings to you because my whole world feels like a desert. And there's something about you that I know that's going to satisfy my soul. I am not casual here. This should feel like, get, hey, get out of my way. I, I need to drink from this well this morning. I, I need to be in the presence of God. I need to be affected by him afresh. That's what worship looks like. It's an exchange. It's an expression. It's not tame. It's not kept inside. All right, let me rescue everybody. And this is the last thing I'll share. Well, Keith, are you just trying to work up our emotions? Yes. And if you have a theological problem with that, I can't understand where on earth you got a problem with that. The God who put brains in us, equipped us with emotions and thoughts. So the the same person who teaches you to death every week, who believes, hey, I want to stimulate our brains to think about truth. The same capacity to think about truth also has a capacity to have emotions attached to those truths. God designed that. If you're short-circuiting that or unwiring that, that, that's not God's plan. God wants you, body, soul, spirit, everything about you, present your bodies, your emotions, everything to God. But I've heard people just so teach against this that it's made people allergic to it. King David, 1 Chronicles 15, also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly. I love that it says play loudly. This is not a calm event. Play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres, cymbals. Why? To raise sounds of joy, to raise them, to stir them up. To create a setting where sounds of joy can come forth from God's view. Where's that coming from? Well, part of it's coming from the music. Just the music? No. The words and the hearts and the affections of the people. But the music is involved. The Psalms, biggest book, is filled with singing set to musical instruments. And there's different types of songs. And the the songs feel different. So, you know, whatever our opinion is in this category, God is, we're not customers. God designed worship, a piece of it, to have music set to it. We needed that vehicle. Bob Coughlin says, God wants us to use music to worship him. Music stirs up and expresses God-glorifying emotion. Our deepest, strongest, purest affections should be reserved for God himself. And he gave us singing to help us express them. The emotions that singing is meant to evoke are a response to who God is and what he's done. Vibrant singing enables us to combine truth about God seamlessly with passion for God. Doctrine and devotion, mind and heart. One more thought. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist and pastor from the 1700s here in America. 
He said the duty, the duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. This is, this is probably the greatest intellect, Jonathan Edwards, the greatest intellect in the history of the American church who said that. So if you wanted to sit in a reform setting and read big books and get a lot of doctrine going on, this would be your guy. In the history of the church in America, this is your guy. This is what he says. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So I joked with the worship team earlier today. A little bit of weight on you guys. A little bit of weight on you guys. To help us express. There are, there are joys in us that we need a little help with. There is trust in God that we need a little help with. There is seeing the greatness of God that, that we need a little help with. And, and your music and your leading helps us to express what God has put in us as he's revealed himself to us. So let us learn from this day forward to be a very loud expressing ourselves biblically to the God who says, I am looking for worshipers. That's what the Father says. Let's stand up together.
again praise the father to say that you're my God. You're all together. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together worthy. All together wonderful to me. 
Let's sing that again as one voice. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow. To bow down before you, God. Here I am to say. together lovely God we love you in this place
God, we love you in this place. We worship you. We worship you, oh God. Before we leave, let's pray, church. God, we are so thankful, God, for all that you've done. God, we, we, your people, just stand this morning amazed. God, at your grace, God, that you've given us, and we breathe out your praise. Lord, we ask that this would continue into the week. God, it would continue into next service that we have. God, that your name would be praised in all that we do. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you. We love you, God. Keep everyone safe as we leave this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen. You guys have a great week. It was great worshiping with you. Be blessed. The prayer team is coming to the front. If you'd like prayer, there's prayer available in the front. Please avail yourself of it.